Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin, I am not an expert, just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. Lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. Hopefully this past week, we all spent some time thinking about ways we can better process and release any suppressed emotions we may currently be carrying. And in thinking about the losses we've endured, hopefully reflecting upon them further has yielded helpful healing insights for us all. Adjusting to life without Ivy has certainly been an ongoing challenge for us this week. But I'm happy to share that her gifts and glittery silver linings are still emerging, and that helps tremendously. A special thank you to the flock for our awesome meeting last Saturday. It was really helpful to hear about your personal healing journeys, things you have taken with you and left behind from your life experiences and in processing your losses. I love how we have created this sacred space for being vulnerable with one another and helping each other along on this healing journey. In the previous episode, I also encouraged us all to pay close attention to how people show up or choose not to when we are going through a challenging time like processing a loss. That is critical information for us to consider when determining how we spend our most precious and non-renewable resource, our time. Today's gratitude is for Dr. Mori. He's my incredible therapist who has helped me a ton on my journey over the past few years. And it's funny, or actually kind of sad, how long it took me to reach out to find someone to talk to. And I want to share a bit about that in case any listeners are on the fence about seeing a therapist for support. If you recall, professionally, I'd been coaching teachers for decades, so I really did understand how talking with someone can help us through challenging changes. But it's interesting, in all the support I provided for others and the positive feedback I received for my coaching, It never truly clicked for me before looking at my own life through my MS lens that maybe I could benefit from having that sort of support in my life too. As I reflect further on this, one particular piece of coaching feedback shared with me to this day still warms my heart. One of my teachers, unbeknownst to me, had shared the following with my manager. He simply said, Every new teacher needs a Katie Sloan. 
To me, it's one of the comments that means the most to me for many reasons. First, learning to teach well can be a gruelingly painful and rigorous process. Having walked through it on my own, it was very important to me that nobody had to suffer in isolation moving forward, especially because the students are the ones who lose while they wait for a beginning teacher to learn their craft, which is why I became highly motivated to eventually leave the classroom to expand my impact to train and coach teachers. Fast forward to my MS diagnosis, I can look back now and say in a similar fashion that every person newly diagnosed with MS needs a Dr. Peyrovi and a Dr. Mori. In this crazy, busy world, we often try to do everything on our own, as many of us are fiercely independent, resilient, and perhaps somewhat stubborn or headstrong people. These are usually good qualities, but when it comes to our health, there's power in the ability to be vulnerable and to learn to express our pain rather than keeping it all bottled up inside. Remember, the body keeps the score. After my MS diagnosis, my first neuropsych evaluation, and our move away from our lives of over 40 years in the Bay Area, that was a lot of changes all at once. So at that time, I finally decided to seek out someone to talk to, since I was now away from my usual support network. By quickly analyzing the options in my area, I knew Dr. Mori would be a good fit for me, as his style is much like my own coaching style, where his clients present topics they want to discuss, rather than him driving the content bus. At first, it was the topics previously mentioned that we discussed. Yet over time, I was also noticing that it felt like there was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders after the move. Initially, I thought it was just because we moved to a glorious home on a beautiful property, by far the nicest place I have ever lived. And that's why I felt like I was constantly on vacation. But slowly over time, it was revealed to me that it was actually much more than that. I had actually inadvertently moved away from a lot of my stress triggers. I felt a new lightness and thankfully even more relief from many of my MS symptoms. And so my conversations with Dr. Mori took an important turn. We began to discuss Cloud and Townsend's book called Boundaries. The book is heavily rooted in scripture, but since I was raised in a very Catholic family that was quite involved in the church, this made sense to me, and it actually helped me to better understand the mindsets of my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, and the patterns and dynamics so visible in those relationships and family structures. While I've been learning about boundaries with Dr. Mori for almost two years now, there's still so much left to explore. And I'll also say it has been one of the most illuminating concepts related to my MS recovery, which we'll talk much more about in today's episode. If you're listening to this and on the fence about talking with someone, I highly recommend it. I now love having someone to bounce my thoughts off of, who will tell me honestly if I'm off the rails. 
His compassionate guidance has helped me so much as I've continued to peel the layers back of my life journey that led to my MS diagnosis in 2015, and now working on my recovery efforts to slow my disease progression. I leave every session with renewed love in my heart, a brightness in my outlook, and spring in my step, all because of this amazing support outlet I have. Most of all, I emerge with a clear roadmap for how I want to navigate the current challenges in my life. There's a song I like by Kenny Chesney that to me sums up my work with Dr. Maury. It's a song called Better Boat, and in this song, some of the lyrics are, I breathe in, I breathe out, got friends to call who let me talk about, what ain't working, what's still hurting, all the things I feel like cussing out. Now and then I let it go, I ride the waves I can't control, I'm learning how to build a better boat. I know I can make it through anything with Dr. Maury's support. Thank you, Dr. Mori, for being there to, for me to talk with and for helping me build a better boat. When we are faced with a challenge that helps us pay closer attention in our lives and illuminate how people choose to show up or choose not to, we have critical information that can help us better determine where, when, and how we should spend our most precious resource our time. One of the most widely used and highly effective tools for time and resource management is the 80-20 rule. What is the 80-20 rule and how can it impact our lives? The 80-20 rule was originally developed by Italian economist Vilfredo Pareto, which is why it is often referred to as the Pareto Principle. Pareto wrote that in economics, 80% of the results often come from 20% of the efforts. What's amazing about this is that it has proven to be true in almost every real-world situation where it has been applied. So it seems to be a universal truth that only a handful of our tasks produce any sort of measurable result. In sales, Typically, 80% of revenue is generated by 20% of the salespeople. 80% of complaints come from 20% of customers. And yet, this principle also works in other areas of life. For instance, 80% of highway traffic is funneled through 20% of roads. Or when we open our mailboxes, often 80% is junk mail, and we end up only keeping 20% and yet we spend 80% of our time reading that 20%. Or when planning a healthy healing meal, 80% of our plate's surface area should ideally be full of colorful vegetables, rich with phytonutrients, with only 20% at most being meat to yield the greatest health outcomes. This can also be applied to other more personal areas of life, like our relationships, because we all spend a lot of our time and energy in places that may not currently serve us best. Since the key lesson of the Pareto Principle is to be vigilantly intentional with how and where we spend our time, it's worth reflecting upon 
especially since most of us here share a big goal, living better with MS. A few months ago, I had the privilege to be a participant in a workshop where the facilitator had us draw four concentric circles on a large piece of paper. I invite you at this time to do this activity along with me as I describe it, as it's quite powerful to be able to see this living document. Or if you'd rather, just think it through in your mind as we go. The facilitator instructed us to think about the people in our lives we are closest to and spend the most amount of time and energy on and ask ourselves some key questions about them. How important are they to us? How much meaning and joy do they bring to our lives? How much frustration or angst do they bring to our lives? Are they there for us when we need them as much as we are there for them when they need us? Think fountain versus drain. As well as how they show up. Do they attempt to speak our preferred love language and do we know and speak theirs? We then placed people's names into the various circles on our paper accordingly. People who offered the most value or joy at the least cost with cost being in the form of frustration, angst, etc., went in the center circle, and then we slowly worked our way outwards. Doing this activity initially surprised me, and upon further reflection, was incredibly enlightening. It helped me realize who the people are in my life, whom I deeply value, and who are there for me when I need them to reciprocate love and support. I was shocked how even some people I love very much and spend a lot of time and energy on weren't choosing to reciprocate. And while we should never be generous with someone just because they are generous with us, it is important feedback for us to take note of when our efforts are not reciprocated in a similar way, especially when we need it most and when this pattern is long-term. Relationships out of balance long-term are not healthy relationships. We then looked at essential life-guiding questions, which are essentially our major goals in life. My goals, as well as yours, most likely, have changed a lot over the years, and naturally they changed with my MS diagnosis and again with my disability retirement which released me from a lot of my previous professional goals and allowed me to focus on my personal goals and specifically my health goals in a way I hadn't ever done previously. After losing my vision, which was extreme, frightening, and clarifying in an entirely new way, my essential question shifted to what it is now. How can I take better care of myself and learn to live well with MS? The hard thing to accept sometimes is that since everyone has their own essential questions, therefore naturally, sometimes what is important to us is not important to others, even people who truly care a lot about us. And that's okay. They are busy searching for their answers. And this is another reason why I so strongly believe in the flock approach to healing. 
because many of us here have similar essential questions and can support one another in a very special way because we share our essential question. And back to my concentric circle drawing. I noticed that a lot of flock members I've grown close with and other folks that I've met over the years on my MS journey ended up in a more central circle than I would have thought they would. In a similar way, some people I was historically very close with, who previously would have occupied my inner circle, have recently flowed outward to another circle. They are still very important to me, and yet, if I truly want to reach my goal of being more kind to myself and living well with MS, I may have to spend less energy and time on them moving forward. Why is this all so important? You may have heard this related quote that I love. People come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. This is a helpful way to process the changes in relationship we experience in life and see those natural ebbs and flows as a normal part of life and not something so sad or tragic that needs to be held onto at all costs. When someone comes into our life for a reason, it's usually to meet a specific need we have. Maybe they assist us through a hard time or provide us with guidance and support aid us physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Then the person may disappear from our life. Our need has been met. Their work is done. They may have been in our inner circle for a while, but they typically don't stay there long. And that's okay. Some people come into our lives for a season. They bring us peace or make us laugh. They give us great joy. We learn a lot and feel a lot. And it's a beautiful time with many happy memories, but it only lasts for a season. And that's okay. Very few of our relationships are lifetime relationships. And these can be amongst the most rewarding parts of our lives if these relationships are in healthy balance and symbiotic in nature with an abundance of mutual respect. Think about the people in your life over the years who have meant a lot to you. Whether they were there for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, accept the contributions they have made and treasure them for however long they are meant to be a part of your life. Like a leaf flowing down a river, riding its current, it may stop for a while, circling in an eddy, but eventually something will change and the leaf will continue along down the river. Such are relationships, and part of living is learning to let go when relationships no longer serve us. Sometimes, and this is quite the trend I'm noticing amongst those of us with MS, we have people in our lives who take more than they give, more drains than fountains. And it's important feedback to us, especially when we're on a healing journey and learning to better allocate our time and energy differently to maximize our healing results. So if we can learn to focus on the 20% that yield the best results, not only will we achieve our goal of better health sooner, 
but our lives will also be more enriched since that 20% is much more reciprocal in their care for us. By focusing on that 20%, we are making a strong investment in ourselves and our future. And this, when living with MS, can be the difference between living well or giving up and surrendering to the disease. So, what do we do when we have people in our circles whom we don't feel respect our needs or who create roadblocks in our quest for healing? The answer is simple, yet also complex. Create boundaries. This episode is dedicated to being able to better identify places in our lives where we may need stronger boundaries, as well as taking an initial stab at what our preferred boundaries may be at this point of our lives. Next week, we'll dive deeper into setting strong boundaries, as well as related topics like ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, resilience, and how these impact us uniquely as people living with MS. Okay, so sometimes we hear the word boundary and think immediately of all the negative associations, like boundaries keep others out or away. But boundaries in and of themselves are not negative. When you think of a boundary, what comes to mind? You might think of something like a property line or the defining lines of a shape or the lanes of traffic on a busy highway. Boundaries show where one thing ends and another begins. Boundaries in a relationship are kind of like this. They help each person figure out where one person ends and the other begins. In short, boundaries help us define what we are comfortable with and how we would like to be treated by others. They apply to any kind of relationship we have, whether a friend, family member, partner, work colleague, or anyone else in our lives. Boundaries keep some things in so they are protected, like pets, for example, and yet they also have gates so we can invite people in or go out to hang in their yard sometimes too. So boundaries, when respected by both parties, are not a bad thing. But what happens when one person does not respect the boundaries we set? And why may they not like the boundaries we set? Well, one thing I've noticed over the past few years as I've intentionally grown a network of folks living with MS Many of us have one or more relationships in our lives, usually someone very close to us and often a part of our core family that we really struggle with. And often we feel so much push and pull in that relationship because our guiding questions are very different. If I am, for example, trying to change things about my life to lead a healthier lifestyle, but a family member or someone else close to me doesn't value those changes or like how I am changing as a person, as a result, our guiding questions and likely the directions we are each going in our lives are at odds with one another. Sometimes we can talk through these differing opinions and find common understanding to enable us to move forward together in new ways. And yet other times, that may not be an option for a variety of reasons. 
A favorite quote of mine for as long as I can remember is, there are as many ways to live life as there are people. And I strongly believe this to be the case. When I am at a crossroads in a relationship or reflecting on the four circles I drew and who is or is not in my current inner circles, this quote comforts me as this is a natural part of life, change, and growth over time. If you are finding that there are people in your inner circles who are at odds with your healing journey, then you may want to consider establishing stronger boundaries. If someone in your life isn't helping to support you being your best, or is deterring you from taking the steps forward you know you need to take toward your life goals, especially healing goals, that's actually considered a toxic relationship. I had never really thought of it that way until I took Dr. Peyrovi's eight-week course several years ago. In that course, as I've shared in previous episodes, we talked about environmental toxicity, like natural toxins, like mercury, synthetic, like BPA and plastics, or reactions to bites or stings, like bee, mosquito, or spider. We also talked about external toxins, produced outside the body, like pollution, pesticides, secondhand smoke, or internal, produced inside the body, like bacteria or viruses. And she also really opened my eyes to thinking about a lot of other things as being toxic as well, like negative thoughts, stress, and also toxic relationships. So the first thing we're going to look at briefly today is toxic relationships, because it's important before we learn how to deal with them, how to identify these toxic relationships in our lives. According to Dr. Lillian Glass, in her book, Toxic People, she defines a toxic relationship as, and I quote, any relationship between people who don't support each other, where there's conflict and one seeks to undermine the other, where there's unhealthy competition, where there's disrespect and a lack of cohesiveness. So, how do we identify these toxic relationships in our lives? Sometimes we just know. That's the easy way. But sometimes we are too close to see it or too conditioned over the years to even detect there's an issue. One tool that really helped me is the Spire Tracker. This is a small wearable device that offers biofeedback through vibration and clues us into our stress triggers. I wore mine for about a year consistently, and I would not have arrived at the same conclusions about my triggers without this helpful tool. And once you identify someone that may be a trigger for you, what then? The good news is that in relationships, like everything else, change over time. So even if you have a toxic relationship now, it doesn't need to stay that way. When we examine toxic relationships, usually several things emerge, and really they are around boundaries and entitlement. One hidden message that MS has revealed to me over time is that relationships were, in fact, an important part of my early MS story and now play an important role in my quest for healing. 
And this is not to say that I've had a lot of bad relationships with people over the years. I've actually been very blessed to have walked this planet with some incredible humans. But it does mean that I do have some relational challenges with people in my life that I love very much. And that MS has shown me the importance of setting stronger boundaries so that I can maintain these important relationships and meet my personal health goals. Boundary issues emerge when a relationship is out of balance. And when we are out of balance, we know that we don't manage our time well. We are overscheduled, stressed, and anxious. The same is true when our relationships are out of balance and we can become resentful, hurt, and full of regret. While toxic relationships are sometimes easy to spot, others are not. Some helpful signs that someone might benefit from establishing stronger boundaries are if they often feel burnt out, drained or used by others, chronically stressed or resentful, Other reliable indicators of toxic relationships that we may feel when we are around someone who may need us to erect stronger boundaries include, we don't feel good when we're with them. We feel alone a lot, even when we're with them. We may feel controlled, like our choices are limited. Or we may feel shamed, intimidated, blamed, full of guilt, or fearful. If we feel like something is wrong with us, we are walking on eggshells, living in constant conflict, or we don't feel good about ourselves when we are with that person, those are strong indicators that a relationship could benefit from more balance through boundaries. And if we do notice that we feel this way about some of our relationships, creating stronger boundaries can help in that they help us redefine what we need enable ourselves to honor our self-care, and learn to make our personal healing a priority. Most people think of setting boundaries as saying no, but the reality is that setting boundaries helps us say yes to ourselves and what we know we need. This reprioritization actually allows us to show up and help others even more since we have put our own oxygen mask on first. And in that way, we can continue to help others, but not at the high cost of our own detriment. In my research for this episode, I came across numerous sources that believe emotional stress is a major cause of physical illnesses, from cancer to autoimmune conditions like MS and many other chronic diseases. This is because the brain and body systems that process emotions are intricately connected with our nervous system, hormone systems, and especially our immune system. Keisha Ewers, author of Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, is one such source, and I want to share about her beliefs in particular because I think she's really on to something here. Keisha believes that with any chronic illness, there are four aspects to each person's puzzle, and they are remarkably similar to what we've previously discussed when looking at current best thinking about MS risk factors and how the body keeps the score our genetics, our level of toxicity, our digestive health, 
and our past adverse childhood experiences or stress. Autoimmune means we are attacking ourselves, but why? Keisha believes the solution to our pain is not hidden from us, it's hidden by us. So when we have healing conversations with ourselves, which is a strategy I'm loving more and more every time I use it, instead of asking, how do I stop this symptom or specific pain? I'm now asking, why am I attacking myself? What am I not paying attention to that I need to pay attention to? And the answers are coming. I have always been a cheerful and happy person and able to see the glass as half full in pretty much every situation. In a way, I'm very proud of being that way. I am told that usually others enjoy being around me and I'm able to form strong relationships with others relatively quickly. But I'm also starting to realize that sometimes when I'm not so cheerful and happy, I tend to retreat and deal with those emotions on my own, almost as if ashamed of not always feeling cheerful and happy. I'm starting now to be more mindful of my feelings, and the previous episode on processing loss really helped me to better tap into the bevy of emotions that I experience on a regular basis. It's also taught me to embrace the fact that I am a highly emotional person. Now, when I notice I'm feeling a certain way, I try to dig deeper into why I'm feeling that way without judgment, rather just with deep curiosity, as well as what do I need to feel better? Learning to validate my feelings rather than pushing them aside is helping a lot. We don't like it when others invalidate our feelings, so why on earth do we do it to ourselves? I'll say that again. We don't like it when others invalidate our feelings, so why on earth do we do it ourselves? Definitely a question worth further marinating. Keisha believes that in order to reverse autoimmune disease, one of the most important things we have to do is shift our thoughts from resentment, anxiety, anger, shame, despair, guilt, panic, and fear into love and acceptance. Remember, we use that strategy specifically when discussing the importance of developing a healing mindset. According to Keisha, we're on the right track. Through mindset shifts, as we remove the barriers to healing, we allow our body to heal in the way it knows best. The truth is, however, that it's not always just changes in ourselves that help us heal. Sometimes it's revealed that the ways we interact with others are also holding us back. And this is where creating boundaries comes into play. If you have someone in your life that you believe is engaged in a toxic relationship with you, it's common to judge or label that person as hurtful, mean, or uncaring. That's all fine and dandy, but that doesn't actually help the situation. And over time, it both inadvertently encourages the behavior to continue and increases our animosity, anger, fear, shame, or other negative emotions we feel about that person or about ourselves when we engage with said person. 
And actually, hanging on to those negative suppressed emotions doesn't help us at all, and in fact actually hurts us at the cellular level, as we've previously discussed. Let's quickly look at one more important MS connection here. Keisha believes that what she calls leaky boundaries cause leaky gut, which Keisha and others believe leads to autoimmune disease, or at least an increased risk of developing an autoimmune disease. She talks a lot about how no is not a bad word. And us yes people, many of us living with chronic illness, need to learn to say no. Sure, we can learn to say it nicely, like, I'm sorry, I don't currently have capacity to help in that way, but I could offer blank instead. When others don't respect our no, this translates to cellular pain, where we don't feel heard, seen, or cared for. And how many times do we let someone who doesn't respect our no talk us into helping anyways? Hmm. So in thinking about the 80-20 rule that we looked at earlier today, if we can tame our innate need to please everyone, focusing rather on channeling positive energy and honoring asks from our inner circles with people who respect our no's and reciprocate care, and spend less time trying to honor asks from people who don't respect our nose, we'll meet more of our health and overall personal goals, and in less time. But what to do with those whom we are close with who choose not to value our nose? Experts agree we need to show them tough love and set stronger boundaries. As people who aren't doing their own work but want us to do it for them, we inadvertently enable their bad behaviors, encouraging them to continue, which only prolongs our pain in dealing with them, but also their pain too. So acknowledging that better boundaries will help both parties, albeit painful at first, should provide enough motivation to move forward and take that first step. So, setting boundaries is an important life skill. We all need boundaries because they help protect us and they help other people in our life too. A boundary simply delineates a limit. Boundaries come in many forms in our lives and it's important to know what our boundaries are so we know when we are close to approaching our limit. We have to let people know what is and what is not okay to do. It's healthy to set expectations and to know our limit. Now, boundaries can be related to lots of things. Our time, what we prefer to spend our time and energy on, how we choose to live our daily lives. It could be around materials, the spending choices we make, what we buy, as well as the content, music, books, art, news, movies, etc. that we choose to consume. It could be physical, our personal space preferences, how we prefer to be touched or not touched, the diets we consume, the regimens we practice, such as habits, hobbies, exercise routines, the ways in which we view discomfort or pain. It can also be mental, our thoughts, opinions, values, attitudes we have toward others and ourselves, expectations, coping mechanisms we utilize, 
the ways we approach and respond by making mistakes or errors, the ways in which we seek perfection, the ways in which we approach change. They can also be emotional, how we feel about something or some aspect of our identity, like how we look or feel or what we believe, or the life choices we make. They can also be social, who we prefer to spend time with, the relationships we create and maintain or choose to let go of, the language we use to describe ourselves and others, our spiritual connections, the worldviews we hold on to, the connections we establish with others. When we do not clearly set these parameters or boundaries, others may try to set them for us. And when we continue to focus so much of our energy on what others want from us, without them doing the same for us, that often results in resentment, frustration, and enabling behaviors. It's important for us to remember that in any situation, one party is rarely 100% responsible. So it's important that we recognize our responsibility in setting clear and strong boundaries with others so that they have clarity on what we will and will not stand for. If we continue to take 100% responsibility for someone else, we actually deny them the opportunity to learn to solve their own problems, use their own critical thinking skills, and heal themselves. Where to start? The first place is to examine our relationships so we know where and with whom we may need to do some boundary work. First, who in my inner circle operates with mutual respect? Moving forward, I plan to spend a minimum of 80% of my time and energy here since these are people who operate with mutual respect, few boundary violations occur. So the majority of our interactions will be positive and supportive. Second, who is in my other circles whom I really care about, but don't always honor my no's, if I've even tried to say no yet? And if I haven't tried to say no, who are the people with whom I constantly say yes to for things I actually don't want to do? This is where we start. And it means that it may be time to say goodbye to some people in our lives or significantly reduce our interactions. And at the very least, put some strong boundaries into place about how we will interact moving forward. Coming up with a short list of the core things we don't want to do, as well as a short list of things we do want to do, is an important step in creating boundaries. In this way, we figure out what our boundaries need to be. For example, here's a few off my current list to get you started making yours. I will plan time for myself every day to ensure I'm doing all I can to slow my disease progression. Remember that essential guiding question? Make sure yours lives in your list too. I will not do all the work around the house on my own. I will check my calendar and give myself 24 hours to say yes to something. I will not say yes to others when I don't have adequate time or simply don't want to do what they want. I will put my phone away when I take my meds at night. 
I will not buy something from someone whose values I disagree with. I will practice seeing myself through Ivy's eyes and loving myself the way she loved me. So, what are some of the things emerging on your list? What are some of your existing boundaries? Are there areas in your life where you are starting to see that you could create stronger boundaries? What will you do or not do moving forward? Another helpful way to explore what some of our future boundaries might entail is to look at how strong boundaries feel. Strong boundaries feel like, it's not my job to fix others. It's okay if others get upset. It's okay to say no. It is not my job to take responsibility for others. I don't have to anticipate the needs of everyone. My responsibility is to make me happy. Nobody has to agree with me all the time. I have a right to my own feelings. I am enough just the way I am. Setting healthy boundaries is a crucial part of life and an important aspect of any self-care practice. Someone who's not used to setting boundaries might feel guilty or selfish when they first start out, but setting boundaries is necessary for mental health and well-being. Appropriate boundaries can look very different depending on the setting, and it's important to set them in all aspects of our lives. Some of the best advice I've received about establishing and enforcing boundaries is that it will be hard or feel foreign at first, but it will get easier. Start small, simply by honoring your yes and your no. Take time to reflect prior to making any commitments. And if you're doing it right, the worst offenders will not like it. Expect that and approach that with a positive attitude, knowing that if it happens, you're actually on the right track. And why might they get angry and push back? Because they like that you do everything for them or always do what they want. So yes, it will be an adjustment period. Allow yourself to maintain the belief that it will be best for both parties once boundaries are in place and honored to fuel your boundary efforts. Why is it that something so right sometimes feels so hard to create? Many of us have a fear or aversion of disappointing someone we love, being disliked, we have FOMO or fear of missing out, or worry about being perceived as selfish. But what's often the case is that if we are struggling to establish boundaries with someone and they are pushing back hard, sometimes we may be dealing with an entitled person. We are now living in a time where our culture is highly individualistic and self-focused. Think of how social media has grown over the past 10 years alone. Suddenly, each of our opinions matter enough to express publicly to the world, and people who are polar opposites are often seen as wrong or bad, when possibly they are just different and have different values. Combined with the instant gratification mindset that permeates our society, boundaries are more important and necessary than ever.
The way in which we treat ourselves defines the ways in which we allow others to treat us. Therefore, if we are unwilling to meet our own needs by being true to our innermost wants and needs, should we expect someone else to do it for us? Nope. That approach only leads to the development of unhealthy relationships void of healthy, respectful boundaries. Dr. Cloud has a robust YouTube channel that is a tremendous source for relationship information and tutorials. I cannot recommend him enough. In his video on entitlement, he talks about the strong need for people who are highly empathetic to have even stronger boundaries. If not, entitled folks who are people who believe they deserve our time, gifts, or resources at their convenience can become relationships that are difficult to navigate and cause us lots of pain. We all have the right to choose how to lead our lives and how and when we help others. But an entitled person actually believes and acts like they are entitled to what you have to offer and something is wrong with you if you don't give them everything they want when they want it in the way they want it. It's confusing when we think of need and entitlement as the same thing. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine too. That's a very egocentric and self-centered way of looking at things, as if the world exists just for them. And everything you are and everything you have belongs to them or is there to serve them. And if we are a very loving person with poor boundaries, we get routinized into enabling when we run into people who aren't doing their part and who are relying on their entitlement to get them through life. Because no's aren't honored and sometimes it becomes easier to just go along with it. As a child, that's an easy habit to fall into if you have a parent who is entitled. It becomes a survival tactic over time. And yet, as we age and realize that actually the truly loving thing is to say no and stop the enabling, it can be a tough transition, both for the person who has struggled with boundaries and for the entitled person who has gotten their way for a very long time. It's important for us all to remember that the family structure doesn't exist just for one or two people. Every family member has equal rights, especially when children are grown and seeking to have more adult-like peer relationships with their parents. When an entitled person doesn't get their way, they typically act like a victim or get enraged and throw a tantrum. This causes people with weak boundaries to back off and often give in, which isn't good for either party. So when people ask us for help or demand it, it's helpful for us to look at the situation through an ability lens, according to Dr. Cloud. Is this person deserving of this help? I.e., are they a child, disabled, poor, etc.? Do they need assistance? If yes, by all means, they truly need our help and should get it. But when this becomes problematic is when it's an entitled person who is perfectly capable of doing something themselves, but who believes they are owed something from others 
or that others should do something for them rather than having to do it themselves. In actuality, an important part of the human experience is that we each get to choose to give of ourselves, our love, our time, and our resources. The biggest takeaways I hope you leave with today. Examining our relationships to seek out areas of imbalance or toxicity is an important part of any healing journey. So I hope this week, along with me, you'll dedicate some time to examining your relationships deeply. Often in toxic relationships, we don't see them clearly very easily, especially if the relationship has been long-term and the way we interact is routinized. So takeaway number one is the importance of reflecting on our existing relationships to find areas of opportunity for establishing better boundaries. Takeaway number two, using the four circle framework and implementing the 80-20 rule can help us reflect on how our relationships with others make us feel and provide clues as to how we could more healthfully allocate our time and resources moving forward in better alignment with our essential life-guiding questions, focusing on people that are supporting us on our journey. Number three, having a trained therapist to talk with can be immensely helpful, especially when doing boundary work as this type of reflection can reveal some unexpected and quite painful truths and is an easier path to walk with a buddy. And lastly, takeaway number four, compiling a list of things we will and will not say yes to is an important step in learning to establish boundaries. What does a life with no regrets look like for us? Gaining clarity on what we want and need in our life will help us. What do we want our legacy to be? Lots to think about this week. And by answering these guided questions and identifying our desired boundaries, next week we'll be ready to start putting them into action and make leaps and bounds toward healing. Following this and every podcast, I offer Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic together. I hope you'll join us. Become a patron on patreon.com slash msflock for the Zoom session schedule and meeting link. Membership is only $1 a month to access these important flockings and to access more content and opportunities. Until next time, be thinking about how you can use the tools shared in this episode to reflect on your relationships and identify places in your life where defining stronger boundaries could help you move forward in your healing journey. Next week, we'll continue looking at boundaries. Specifically, by then, we'll know who we need to set better boundaries with and what those boundaries should be. And we'll also look at how ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and resiliency can impact and inform our boundary work and our lives as people living with MS. Feel free, as always, to submit questions, comments, or future podcast topics or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. 
We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well. I ain't lonely But I spend a lot of time alone More than I'd like to But I'm okay with staying home My how the last few months have changed I smile more despite the pain I breathe in I breathe out Got friends to call Who let me talk about What ain't working What's still hurting All the things I feel like cussing out Now and then I let it go Around the waves I can't control I'm learning how to build a better boat